It's June 19th, 2011, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of the show. Before we begin, I want to make a small correction. In episode 114, I mispronounced my guest's name, which is a big no-no. So my apologies to Rick Namias for that. But I also want to take the time to thank him again for appearing on the show. Now, today's guest may have a name that's simpler to pronounce, but his work is no less exceptional. Bill Wadman is an editorial photographer who specializes in portraiture. Though his original aspirations revolved around music, he instead found himself using the camera to make beautiful and striking portraits of subjects for clients including Time Magazine, Business Week, and the New York Times. I met him during a photo walk led by my friends at Faded and Blurred, and I'm grateful to them for introducing me to Bill, which has led to his appearance on this show. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Bill Wadman. Well, Bill, welcome to the Candid Frame. Uh, it's, uh, I'm really pleased to have a chance to talk to you. I didn't have much of a chance to talk to you when I met you in Los Angeles uh, a little while back. So, uh, I've been looking forward to having a chance to sit down and talk with you. No problem. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, well, we had what five, six, seven people with us. So it got a little busy. It was funny because I had, I had been familiar with your work before I met you, but I didn't make the connection between the person that I met on that day and the work <laughs> until afterwards. And I went, oh, it was that guy. I really should have talked to him. See, now, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it was, you know, it was good meeting a lot of people that you, it's funny meeting people in person that you've met online or listened to their stuff or that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's like you don't make the connection right away. It's mm-hmm. interesting. Well, one of the things that is curious about you is is you've been shooting for a relatively short amount of time, and I think your your life course was originally intended for for music is what is what I've read. Yeah. So how did I end up here? Um, but in high school, I was a big piano player. I actually considered going to school for classical piano, and then I kind of came around to the idea that I was also way into computers. So I ended up going to school for engineering for a couple of years. And after the first year, I was like, you know what? I really don't know that I want to do engineering. And not because I didn't enjoy it. It just, it, it just felt so stayed. The path was so obvious from now until death. Mm-hmm. So I, I looked around and I said, you know what? Let's give this music thing a shot. And I ended up transferring to Berkeley College of Music in Boston on like a bit of a, a composition scholarship, which was interesting. And I went up there and I did that and I graduated. And instead of getting a job in music, I ended up doing uh, art direction and advertising okay. at a dot at com place. This was like late 90s. Uh, and I moved to New York and I got a job and I worked as an art director for a few years and then went freelance and did that for a few years. And then in 2005, my father got sick and died uh, of cancer. And what was left from his life, I mean, there was stuff left, but nothing that like made me think, oh, he's still alive because of these things he created. Mm-hmm. Other than myself and my sister, of course. So I, I sort of came to this conclusion that I wanted to do something bigger with my life other than sell toothpaste. And I had 
bought a camera and I had been taking some pictures, but not anything more than, you know, a roll of film every few months. Uh, and so I started picking up the camera more and I got myself a digital SLR. This was what, 94, 95. Uh, and then my father died and then I started doing some more projects. Yeah. And then I did a project in 2007 called 365portraits.com, which was pretty big because where I started out with very little following, it ended up being Yahoo site of the day and, you know, listed in, in all these newspapers and USA Today and all these people linked to me. By the end, I had 20, 25,000 unique visitors a day, which was pretty great because it made me want to get better every day because people were looking every day, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, I started these projects. It's funny because even when my father was sick, I sort of came to this conclusion. I mean, I was working, I was doing the advertising stuff and I claimed to be a musician and I claimed to be a photographer, but like, what did I actually make every day? And I started doing these daily projects and then I did these, uh, the next year I did this weekly project and the idea was just to sort of make stuff, whether it was good, whether it was bad, it was all about just production. And that led to 365 Portraits, which sort of led to my career in photography. So yeah, it was a slightly roundabout route. It ended up being sort of your training ground, your, your, your photo school doing, doing that project. Oh, yeah. Did you really sort of have that in mind when you started, started it? Or was it just something that you felt like you wanted to do just so you could have something to photograph and, and sort of, you know, keep yourself, uh, on point in terms of doing that? Yeah, it's funny because I'm working on a project, uh, a daily project now that I'm posting on my blog and it's not as serious and it's not as structured as, as 365. What I've come down to is the idea that, that, that it's like doing cardio every day. You know, you have to, you know, get on the treadmill and run because that's how you get your, keep your heart going and keep in shape and stuff. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. But when I started 365 portraits, it actually started because I, I, I had taken some portraits. I had shown some to an art buyer friend at an ad firm, and she said, well, yeah, these are pretty good. Come back when you've got more. And this was in November of 06 or so. And I remember leaving and thinking to myself, all right, well, how do I take more? How do I do a lot of portraits in a little amount of time? And I said, you know, screw it. And we just do one a day and I'll just find a different person every day. But it sort of took on a life of its own, which is a whole other story. But but yes, it was definitely, I want to get better and I want to get better fast, you know? And you knew it was portraiture that you wanted to use the camera for as opposed to some other type of work? Or or yeah, was it just that response that you got from that particular person that sort of guided you to do, become a, a portrait photographer? Sure. I, I showed her portraits, uh, so that was definitely a part of it. So, you know, the, the previous year, I'd been taking pictures of a lot of things. I take pictures of people. I take pictures of, you know, landscapes and travel photography, that kind of stuff. But it was actually my mother who said, you know, you should really – you know, do the portraits. I like people. The thing that I like about portraits is, is, I mean, I, yeah, I like taking pictures. Yes. I like taking pictures of people, but the interaction between myself and the subject is what I kind of really get off on. Mm-hmm. I like the, especially if you have somebody alone for an hour, two hours, you know, and you can talk to them and you can sort of, I mean, it sounds predatory, but if you can wear them down, that's, that's when the really good stuff comes out. When they forget that they're getting their picture taken and they think they're just talking with a new friend. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's when things start getting more interesting. And it's funny because there's a palpable moment with somebody who has their guard up where it just sort of drops. You have to be real sensitive to feel it sometimes. But like if you're sitting there and you're talking to somebody and you, you notice something shifts and they don't realize that they let their guard down. And it's kind of, it's interesting because there's this little part in the back of your brain that goes, ah, oh, I got him. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that's something that you discovered as a result of the project, because I don't think that's yeah. something anyone could ever tell you beforehand. No. And yeah, it takes it, it's, it takes a lot of practice. I mean, I'm good at talking to new people. You know, I, I can talk to anybody about anything. That's sort of, in some ways, that's what I'm better at than photography. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was shooting a guy for Business Week uh, about a year ago, and he was a, an oil analyst. And I had to go up to his house and shoot him up, up in Westchester. Got on a train, went up there, whatever it is. But the night before, I watched all of his interviews on Charlie Rose that this guy had done. I read some of his analyst reviews. I talked, I, I learned, looked all the news up about the oil industry over the past couple of months beforehand and read some of that. So that when I was talking to him, it wasn't like, oh, how are you doing today? It was like, hey, do you think that those new fields in Azerbaijan are really going to produce? So, so that it's almost like you're on his field, yeah, which is good. Now that's an extreme example because this guy was very specifically into one big thing, but I love the idea of learning from other people and, and they project themselves differently when they're talking about stuff that's in their world. What's interesting about the your 365 project for me is there are a lot of people who have been doing 365 projects for sure. for a while, especially you know with a with a prevalency of, of of blogs. But I I think that your choice was an interesting one, not just because of the subject matter, but but because you created such a challenge for yourself logistically. Um, yeah. trying to find someone to not only photograph every day, but putting on yourself the, the pressure of making it the production value more than just a snapshot that it had to be yeah. the equivalent of what it would be if you were given an editorial assignment to produce those, those, those portraits. And yes. I think that really makes this particular portrait 365 project very different from many of the other ones that I'd seen there. Talk about the challenge of making that kind of choice and being able to, you know, be able to be consistent for an entire yeah. year. Uh, I'll tell you, it was a full-time job. I mean, I, I did a little contract work and some some editorial work and that kind of stuff in that year, but the majority of it was me doing that, sucking on my savings, you know. Uh, it was it was the logistical nightmare in that you have to trying to organize people, you know, even if even if you put out a call for volunteers because it was very few days that I actually just went out with a camera and found somebody. Most of the time it was set up in advance. But think about 12 months in front of you and you start getting a lot of people emailing you with some pictures saying, oh, I'd like to be, here's a picture, here's my name, here's my contact info. But trying to organize all those people to say, oh, I'll meet you on Tuesday at 1 p.m. and I'm going to meet you on Thursday and you're not going to cancel on me because if you do, then I'm kind of screwed for that day and I got to go find somebody else and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I, but you're right. On top of that, I wasn't, I was trying to do something more than just take snapshots. Uh, I was trying to actually take real portraits and spend time with these people and, and, and do the post production and everything. And, you know, it's funny that the, I mean, there were the times when I was in New York, when I was at home, there were also a number of times that I was traveling. I was dating a girl in, in London at the time. So I was, I went over to London two or three times during that year. It's like, okay, I got to take somebody before I leave for the airport for today. Then I'm flying overnight or whatever to, to England. And, you know, and I land there and I'm exhausted because I don't like jet lag and I got to shoot somebody over there. And then one night over there in England, I, you know, went out for dinner, came home and I had food poison and I was uh. sick as a dog for the next, you know, 14 hours. And it's like the next morning and it's 11 o'clock in the morning and I'm, you know, on the floor of the bathroom and I'm thinking to myself, what the hell am I going to do? But I got to find somebody to shoot for that day, you know? On top of that, once I started getting a little bit of a cachet with the name and, and, and a lot of people coming to the site, I started actually trying to get certain people 
you know, there were people on, on my wish list. You know, I was trying to organize and contact, you know, all kinds of interesting people, authors and scientists and astronauts and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, it's funny. In the end, it really felt like running a marathon. Mm-hmm. You weren't sprinting. You know, it was just every single day. Like, there's no question whether or not you're going to do it today. You know, there are a lot of people who start off projects, not just a photographic project, but say they're going to do a workout regimen or whatever it is sure. that they've decided yep. to say, this year I am going to do this. And almost inevitably, there are these obstacles that present themselves and yep. people just stop doing it. And, you know, there are other other viable things in, in one's life that come up that, that can easily become the priority. Yeah. So was- Get you off the rails. Yeah. So what what was it? Was it the fact that you had the blog that was holding that you had an audience that was holding you accountable, what or something I, no, else? That was that was a huge part of it. Yeah, um, and I actually had open comments on there too. So you know, there there was a certain sh- ego stroking that goes on. You know, mm-hmm. so it's sort of like, oh, I want to make a really good one, so people say that this is a great picture today or whatever, and people are expecting it. People are waiting. You know, there were thousands of people who every morning they woke up and looked at this thing to see if my picture was there and it had to be there. But mostly, like I said, it comes down to saying there's no option for not doing it. Like that's just not an option. And even today for, for the, the series that I'm doing now, a lot of times they're, you know, these aren't the fanciest pictures I've ever taken, but it's like, oh shoot, it's eight o'clock and I haven't shot anything that I can use today for that because I had another shoot or I was busy doing meetings or whatever. So, you know, then you have to go out and find something, but you know, you could easily say, oh, I'm not going to do it today or I'll grab this picture that I took last week and just put it up and no one will ever know, mm-hmm. but you'll know, you know, the, 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 it's the sense of self-satisfaction that is a big part of it too. And it is like going to like, I mean, like you said, people who say they're going to go to the gym every day. It's true. They say that. And, and when they do, you feel good. You're like, oh yeah, I worked out today. So there's there's a certain high that you get from just actually completing your goals. Yeah. How do you contend with those feelings of insecurity, self doubt? Because you know you didn't have a whole lot of experience under your belt, and sure. and granted, at first you were working with people who you knew, but eventually you were working with strangers, some people who were quite notable, who had been photographed countless number of times. So how do you deal with those? with those feelings and those insecurities and that anxiety when it comes time to, for you to, you know, sit this person in front of your lens and say, okay, I'm the photographer and I supposedly know what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't deal with it very well. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, even today it's, I've shot for all these national magazines. I've done, you know, national ad campaigns, all this kind of stuff. I still, to this day, I'm just like, why would anyone hire me? Who the hell am I? So I still have that problem today. I'm I'm self-deprecating to a fault a lot of times. It's tough, but I'll tell you what's funny about it is that I'll get nervous going to a shoot sometimes, especially like if like I remember I I was shooting um, for this magazine in Boston called The Improper Bostonian, Mm -hmm. and it was like my first real magazine shoot. It was going to be the cover and the whole thing, and I was shooting this woman named Jhumpa Lahiri. She's a a author. Yeah, Indian author. Mm Yeah. And so we get there, it was a, you know, big studio and lights and the whole thing. And, and the studio was 10 times the size of any room that I've ever shot in before. There were six people from the magazine and hair and makeup people and wardrobe people and all the rest of it. And my assistant and myself. And, and then she was late and then took a long time. And there was like all this politics. And I'm just thinking there's 20 people in this room, but I'm the only one that actually has pressure on me. 
all of these people are here for me to do what I need to do. It's kind of scary sometimes. You know, it's like all the weights on your shoulders. To some extent, what I do is I make the I make the problem smaller. You know, I'll, I'll I took Jumba and my assistant, and I said we're going to go work over in this corner, and all you people can stay over here. It's funny though. Once I pull up the camera and take a shot or two, almost all of that goes away for me. The nervousness. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that every time I hit the shutter, it's brilliant, and I think it's fantastic. I mean, a lot of times it's the opposite. But I'm but I'm. I'm to the point now where I can take a reasonably good picture of, of anybody. Like I, I can take a picture. I can get a picture that I'm not going to be embarrassed by almost every time. So it's whether or not I get something that actually I like that would end up in my portfolio that I would want to show people. And sometimes you, you can't force that. You know, sometimes it doesn't come. The subject is distracted. You're distracted. You don't have enough time. The light stinks for majority of reasons in ways that you can't do much about. You know, there's all kinds of things that are out of your control. Yeah. So in some ways, you have to sort of understand the things that are in your control and deal with those. You know, it's funny. You say, you know, how do you, how do you deal with this pressure and that kind of thing? A lot of photographers go the opposite way that I do, which is that they turn to technical stuff to, to, to control a portrait shoot. Right. They'll sit you down and they'll fiddle with lights to get the lights exactly perfect so that, you know, everything they shoot and the lights are perfect. To me, it's kind of like, well, yeah, but then you're ignoring the real issue in this shoot, which is that person sitting on the other side of the lens. I'd much rather give my attention to the subject than if the light's not absolutely perfect, because even if I get something that the light's not great, if the person, if that connection's being made between the person and the sensor or the film, then I've done my job. In fact, I, in fact, I almost want to be transparent in that communication yeah and, and and that really comes across in the work um because they're not overly produced images you know that you're working primarily a lot with available light you may be working with some you know secondary illumination and in, in, or modifiers but for the most part you're working but i'm not with 26 light. lights with rim lights and hair lights and backlights and yeah I, I'm not a big fan of that stuff, or at least I'm 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 tired of that stuff personally. But it's interesting because I think a lot of people who aspire to be portrait photographers feel they have to learn all that stuff or know all that stuff in order to be viable as a professional portrait photographer. And I think you're one of the people who demonstrate that you just have to find what works for you. Yep. And that allows you to build on your strength. And one of your obvious strengths is your ability to build a rapport with, with your subject. So you don't allow those other distractions to diminish that. Sure. And, you know, if you want me to use six lights, I can do that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I choose not to. You know, there are people who, who use available light because they don't know how to make light. I can make light till the cows come home. But I think that in, in, in many situations, it's either a distraction or actually a hindrance because the person's sitting there while you're fiddling with strobes and it just, it just makes them feel more awkward and more disconnected. You know, do you find that some of your subjects are surprised that you're not working that, you know, with all that, all that stuff, particularly people who have been photographed by others? Yeah, I, I would guess so. And I think some people are surprised by the amount of attention that I give them and not my camera or not talking, uh, or I mean, not fiddling with technical stuff, but actually conversing with them. Mm-hmm. In fact, sometimes it's to my detriment because they're talking and answering me when I kind of need them to be quiet and with their mouth still. Mm. But I'm okay with that because I'd rather have them feel comfortable than than not. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the people I take their pictures are surprised how little stuff I bring. You know, it was funny. So shoot, I was I talked about before I had to shoot two guys for this magazine 
one of whom is the, the guy who runs uh, diapers.com and soap.com, some big you know internet thing. I don't know. I don't have kids, so I don't know about the diapers.com, but apparently it's a big thing. And he just got bought by Amazon, so he's like multimillionaire. The other guy just got bought by Google. He's like 26 years old, and he sold to Google for 70-something million dollars, wow. his company. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these these people are on a whole other world, you know. And uh, in the first shoot, I brought an assistant and I brought a pro photo, a cute B little, you know, battery powered thing and a and a 40 something inch soft lighter. And, and I shot him against this wall and I brought white paper just in case I couldn't find a white wall. And then uh, the other shoot got rescheduled a few times. And in the end, I couldn't have my assistant with me. So I went with a backpack with speed light and a 32-inch soft lighter on like a little stand, you know, half the gear and half the people. And the pictures, you could put them next to each other and you'd think they were taken with the same stuff. Digital has made it so that you don't need a lot of that gear to do the things you want to do. I think you made a comment in one of the podcasts with Jeffrey where you were saying you were surprised that I was just shooting through a diffuser with a speed light. Right. You know, it's like, okay, if I can make a soft light out of a speed light, out of a little thing that two, one person can hold with, you know, one hand on each thing, that's easy because I can put that in my backpack and it takes 30 seconds to get ready. So if the, is the light as controllable or as perfect? No. But you know what? Like I do so much post on a lot of my pictures that it doesn't matter. And let's talk about that, that, that post because I know that came, that's come into play in, in your work. And when did that start informing what you were doing with your portraits? Um, sure. When did you find that what you were getting out of the camera was not what you envisioned and, and that you had an understanding that post had to be part and parcel of what you were doing? I think that post-production in many ways defines people's looks nowadays. Um, and I think part of that has to do with digital, actually, in that in the old days, if you know, you were shooting with some Pentax camera, you know, you could choose 12 different kinds of film and different developers and printing and all that kind of stuff and scanning and whatever. And you had different cameras. Nowadays, if you're shooting, you shoot with what, like a 70 or a 60 D 60 or whatever. It yeah, is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. You know, if, if you and I had that same camera with the same lens, we're taking pictures. It's not that we're going to have the same vision, but our pictures are going to have the same look. There's sort of a, a generic feel to a lot of pictures coming out of digital cameras. In my mind, I, you know, it's like I, I look at my pictures before I do work on them and I say, oh, these kind of look like everybody's pictures. And so I started working a little bit, trying to, I don't know, refine them in a way. And, I, you know, it's funny back with the lighting thing, a quick thing is that I, I feel like a lot of people now, yeah, they're shooting with lots of lights and everything, but there's there's very little subtlety in their light. You know, it's very aggressive lighting or, or very obvious lighting. Uh, which I tend to try to shy away from when I can, which is part of the reason why I like natural light and available light is that it doesn't feel like it's manufactured. And even when I manufacture light, I want to make it feel like it was kind of all there to begin with. So yeah, so I started doing a lot of posts, but I, I kind of like that. It's sort of, in some ways, that's when I feel like I'm actually making art and not just taking pictures. Okay. If that, if that makes sense. No, and, and you've commented about your work that you, you aspire to be painterly in your work. I and I think that really comes across in your photographs. And I think it's a combination of both the, the lighting, as you mentioned, and your post processing. I think especially with respect to your lighting, it's very interesting. I was at, uh, I was in Paris and I was at the, the, the Orsay uh, Museum. A lot of people there were there to look at the uh, impressionists, but uh, I was looking at actually um, the realists in in terms of what they were sure. doing in terms of their lighting and their and their sort of embracing of shadow and gradation of t- of, of brightness and and tone. Yeah. And, and and it struck me that a lot of today's photographs sort of move away from that sort of aggressive use of 
of shadow, where yeah. everything is so overly lit that shadow seems to be a bad word. Well, I, you know, I think part of that has to do with vanity of the subjects. People tend to use soft lights on both sides to minimize wrinkles and whatnot. Mm -hmm. In a lot of my pictures, people probably don't look as... I don't do a lot of skin smoothing and that kind of stuff. I mean, I'll, you know, clean stuff up, but I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who's trying to make it look like it was shot for Cosmo makeup ad. If anything, a lot of times I will try to add texture because I feel like a lot of digital pictures to me make skin look very, almost too smooth, mm -hmm. especially like in the highlights and stuff. It just kind of becomes, even if you don't blow out any channels, there's still this like feeling like it's just homogenized and blurred out. And it's not a sharpness thing. I just, it's hard for me to explain what I mean, but like with men, a lot of times I'll actually bring back i'll do like a channel mixer layer and do monochromatic pull the reds down pull the blues and greens up and then make that a luminosity blend so i know it's a lot of technical jargon but to actually bring out texture and faults yeah perhaps in their skin but you're right in the in the paintings but it's funny because a lot of those old paintings they're merging the light that exists with light they want it to be so sometimes you look at a painting and you're like oh that light's so fantastic and then you kind of like think about where it's coming from and how much it's illuminating different things and you go it probably didn't really look like that you know <laughs> um it, you know because the, the, there's there's detail in the shadow but then there's detail in the highlights and that's part of what i try to do in my post is actually i'll i'll work with the highlights and i'll work with the shadows and some people say that some of my work gets sort of an hdr -y kind of look on it uh, you know like hdr i guess is the better way i should put it uh in that there's detail in the shadows and there's detail in the highlights but i'm just doing that from one frame but i think that that's part of what brings that painterly look out i don't mind having shadows and blacks and and having things be contrasty uh, but i don't want it to just block up on either end you yeah. know and the blocking up in the highlights i think highlights make digital kind of look ugly to me a lot of times and that's the thing you have to be careful of but one of the things that you you made the point of in terms of the, your rendering of you know a subject's skin and how they look and i think one of the points in any portrait photographer's creative life is the idea of at what point do i make a picture that satisfied my desire in terms of my vision and my desire to make a picture that I think the subject will see as flattering. Sure. And that sometimes those two are not going to jive and it's, and you, and you have to make a choice at some point. And I think a lot of people defer to their subject because they want the subject to, to like the photograph. Sure. But for you, how do you sort of contend with that contrast? It's funny. You ever, you look at a lot of Karsh pictures, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. With men, he uses, three or four lights with weird angled shadows and all kinds of stuff. But his pictures of women are usually like one light, <laughs> one <laughs> big smooth light. I think there's things you can do with men that you can't do with women. And, and there's, there's, there's looks with women that you tend to make them look a little bit better. I have the advantage of a lot of the time, either I'm shooting for my own stuff for art so I can do whatever I damn well please. I want to make the subject happy, but I'd rather make myself happy and have the subject be happy rather than me be miserable and the subject be happy. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my work in deference to them all the time. The advantage that I have is that a lot of times I'm doing editorial work, which means that my client isn't the subject. My client is the periodical or whatever it is, mm -hmm. right? Does Time Magazine care that so-and-so skin looks whatever? Well, you know, maybe, but they're more looking for an interesting photo. Whether or not the subject will think it's good, I mean, I hope they do. And look, I'm not going crazy and making people look terrible. I want people to look good, too. 
I like making pretty pictures, but I don't. But I don't want them to be uninteresting. I guess is the 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 line that gets drawn. Hmm. Now, if I'm shooting for people in particular, where you know they are the subject and they are the person with the money, <laughs> you you get you do get into situations where you you will tend more towards vanity than interest. Yeah. But uh, but but even then, I think I've gotten to the point where people know what they're going to get from me. They can look at my work and know that I'm not the guy who's going to overlight them from the front from five different giant soft sources so you don't see one wrinkle. I'm not that guy, you know. Yeah. If you want that, then there's plenty of photographers out there who will shoot that. But if you want me, you want me because I can get something out of you that looks like you. And it's funny, there's a lot of situations where somebody will look at a picture I took of them and say, I don't like this picture. I don't look good in this picture. And I'll say, okay. And then six months later, they'll look back or a year later and they'll say, they'll, they'll write me and they'll say, you know, that picture is really me, mm. you know, in a way that they didn't want to admit in the beginning because they were looking for to be somebody they weren't, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's, you know, and it, but I mean, but that's a lot of people want their portraits taken and they want to look like somebody they're not, which is funny because the old paintings, in some ways, the kind of thing that I'm trying to create with my own work, I'm trying to make that thing that looks like an old painting. Those people, this, the painters did lots of stuff to make people look better than they really did because, you know, these were kings and queens and dukes and duchesses and they had to suck up to them, which is a, which is something we don't always get the chance to do in photography. Yeah. Well, one of the other projects that you've worked on is is dra called Drabbles, mm -hmm. and in, they consist of portraits as well. But I think yes. you were doing something completely different with this than you were with the 365 project. So why don't you tell us in terms of what your goals were with this particular body of work and what sure. sort of challenge it presented for you? It's funny. Uh, the <laughs> Those pictures were also sort of an answer to somebody complaining about my portfolio. People said, well, that's great, but all the people are always looking at you in all your pictures. I, I have a big thing with eyes. I like eye contact. And they said, you know, all your pictures are people looking at you. You know, we need to see some stuff that uses more deliberate lighting that has a more, not lifestyle-y feel, but a little bit more of a conceptual feel to show that you can come up with an idea and execute it. And I'd been taking a lot of pictures and trying to find, you're always looking for that next project for yourself, you know, the next thing that gets you interested again. And my girlfriend Heather and I were up in Connecticut and my father uh, had a 1963 Chevy convertible Impala and it was in the garage after he died and it was sitting there and my mother was thinking of selling it and I said, you know, let's take some pictures in the car while we've got it. And I said, Heather, you've got a dress with you, right? And she's like, ah, oh. <laughs> she's, she's a very good sport. She's fantastic. But you know, so she goes, she puts a dress on, we go into the car. I set up a speed light in the back, a speed light in the front. I think even on the front dash, maybe it was. And we took some pictures and one of these pictures I took with a pretty wide lens, like a 28 full frame. And I said, Oh, I love, I liked the cinematic kind of look of it. I think it's actually in my portfolio somewhere. We can link to it, I guess, in the show notes. Yeah. But I took this picture and I said, ah, I want to do a lot more of these. This is what I want to do. So I made rules. I was going to use, they were all going to be landscape wide. The subjects were not going to be looking at the camera. I was going to use extra lights. So mostly speed lights and stuff. And they were all going to try to have this cinematic feel. They were all going to kind of have a story in them of, Oh, is this girl at a drive-in movie? Is she like waiting for somebody? Like, is that a cop car coming towards her? You know, all that kind of stuff. You sort of make up the story on your own. And so I did, I think I did 40 something of these, 45 of these in that vein. And I looked for, I put out a call to everyone I know and said, does anybody know anybody who's kind of striking? Which was kind of what I codenamed the, the project. 
In fact, in my in my Lightroom, it's still under projects as striking and not drabbles because that's mm. what I thought of it as. But I was looking for interesting looking people and we put them in all kinds of situations. I hung people upside down. Well, I fake hung people upside down. I had, you know, skateboarders with giant beards. I had guys riding bicycles. I had uh, a ballerina like uh, up on point in a bad part of town. It, all kinds of kind of interesting stuff. A girl with a, it was raining inside her apartment. So she had an umbrella open inside the apartment. But I was definitely trying to do something that was very unlike the stuff I'd done before. And that's what kind of made it interesting to me. There's a, one of one of the portraits in there that I think you got a, a great response about. And I love the story that you told us uh, when when we met you about the Frenchman in the yes. bathroom. Why don't you Francois. tell us this, Francois? Why don't you <laughs> Why don't you tell us uh, about that subject and that portrait? Because I, I think it's uh, it, I think it's a great story. So Francois was a uh, a friend of a friend, and uh, he invites me over to his place, and he had he had on these leather pants and this red shirt, and he's fantastic. This guy. He's a, he's become a pretty good friend of mine. So I show up at his place and he had this big chair and this throne and this whole thing. And not, a, it wasn't a throne, but it was a big chair and we were kind of making it look like he was sitting on a throne. And he said, you know, I, I just drank this bottle of wine that my uncle gave my parents at, at, at the day of my birth for, to hand to me when I was older. And I drank it a couple weeks ago. And so I have this great bottle of wine and we should use it in the picture. And so we took all these pictures and they were fine, but they didn't really look like anything. And so I was, I was like, oh, okay, I use your bathroom. So I go to the bathroom and I use the bathroom. I was like, oh, no, we got to shoot in the bathroom. Mm. And he had this like slate tiled floor and this whole thing. And it was kind of run down. And I was like, look, just sit down on the floor, smoke your cigarettes. We'll make you look like you have a bottle of wine. And we shoot here. And I was shooting like almost on the floor. I was like laying on my stomach on the floor, kind of shooting up at him on the bathroom floor. Yeah, he was an interesting guy. But, but sometimes it, it comes down to that, right? You're looking for something interesting and sometimes it's there and sometimes it's not. And sometimes you find it and sometimes you don't. I think the part of the problem when people are doing conceptual stuff or even just photography in general or any art in general is that you can't guarantee a good outcome. You can only do it a lot and hope that the percentages go up. But how do you deal with that when you're being paid on assignment where someone is paying you to go and photograph sure. the subject? You may only have 5, 10, or 15 minutes with, with the subject to do your thing and there is someone who is expecting you to be able to to pull sure. it off. Yeah, and 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 like I said, you, I mean you get I think you get to the point where you can get something all the time or 99% of the time. It's whether you get something like you you kind of move up the scale so your your worst work is like your best work was 5 years ago. And the good thing about that is that then frees you up a little bit because you know you're going to get pictures that are going to be fine that you could deliver to the client, but then you could also play around afterwards as well. Now I'm not saying that you're not nervous and you don't think that all of your stuff stinks because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I come home and I'll look at my pictures and I'll be like, oh, this is trash. Mm. But then I'll go back and look at the pictures that I liked that were in my portfolio three years ago and I'll be like, oh my God, I can't even believe half this stuff was in there. The hell was I thinking? So I think that there's, there's a certain level of base confidence that comes with doing it enough to the point where you're secure that you can do the job. I mean, I guess it's like with anybody, you know, a guy comes in, he's some plumber and he comes into a house where the water's not running. It's like, well, he can probably get the water running, whether or not he can do it in five minutes or, you know, he can do it quickly and easily, you know, that's to be made, to be determined. But, you know, you have a certain faith in your own skills, you know, you almost have to be a little not cocky, but confident. Yeah. If you kind of come in meek, a lot of times, at least with portraits, that go that comes off on the subject. You know, the subject realizes that you're being meek. If you come in and you're confident and you're talking to them as if, oh, this is no big deal, let's just do this, then they're more likely to be 
confident in the fact that you can do your work and then you'll get better pictures out of them and it's sort of a ball that rolls down the hill you yeah. know you know you, you've done a, a variety of different personal projects and do you feel like the challenge that you present to yourself in each of these projects really sort of helps to keep you on your toes and and allows you to have that edge in terms of when you have to finally go in there and photograph someone to make your loving yes absolutely yeah, there's a there's a confidence that you get when you're shooting all the time versus when you're not shooting all the time because it's it's it becomes reflex. There's a lot of muscle memory and all this kind of stuff. If you're shooting all the time, you always have a camera. Not always have a camera because I'm not the kind of person who carries a camera around most of the time. But if if you have a camera in your hands often enough and you're pointing it at people and you're taking pictures and you're doing it every day or every other day, the the day two weeks from now that you have to go in to shoot for a magazine, it's it's not like you haven't picked up a camera in a month and and it's a whole new thing. It's sort of just oh, this is what I've been doing for the past two weeks. It's just another one. So there's definitely that factor. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, personal projects are are good in that you have the freedom to do things that you might not be able to do for a client. I did a picture a few weeks ago of a guy standing on a wall. In fact, I think it's the first picture that comes up if you go to my website. Mm -hmm. If I was being hired by, I don't know, like, you know, who would hire for something like that? Uh, Red Bull was going to hire me to do a whole series of pictures of composites of people standing on walls for some campaign. They wouldn't want to see one picture. They'd want to see 15 pictures that I'd already done of that. What people want, if they're paying you a lot of money, they want to know that you can absolutely 100%, no questions asked, do whatever it is that they're coming up with, which... I find kind of frustrating because I like doing new things all the time. I don't want to take 50 pictures of guys with yellow shirts because this campaign involves people with yellow shirts and you need to show me you can shoot yellow shirts. Sometimes <laughs> it's literally it's literally that specific and ridiculous. Yeah. Do you have 12 pictures of women holding their children in their right arm? No, I have some with the left arm. Oh no, we need to see more with the right arm. You know, it's just ridiculous stuff. Yeah. Part of that is there being so many photographers now. And everyone's so specialized in many ways, being a sort of generalist portrait, single portrait kind of person. And I don't shoot lifestyle kind of stuff. I, I shoot what's more like a deliberate traditional portrait than a lot of people do. And it's, it's funny trying to find a niche for that or try to explain that to people is sometimes difficult. Yeah. Well, you're, you're very active, you know, on the internet using a blog and on Twitter and on Facebook. But one of the other things that you do is you do a podcast. I do. I, I conversations. <laughs> but it's different in that you're not just talking about photography and talking nope. about your work. You and your friend, uh, Dan, seem to talk yeah. about a wide variety of, of things and, and why the podcast and why this particular format and what, you know, why are you doing it? Because I'm sure that you're, you've got a lot of things to sort of keep you busy. What does this sort of serve for you both personally and maybe professionally? Well, the first reason is that even when I'm busy, I like being busier. <laughs> I'm definitely an idle hands kind of guy. I'm happy when I'm working a lot. If it's a time that I'm not getting a lot of work from other people, I will create work for myself because I get depressed if I don't. I, depression is like a thing that a lot of artists, I guess, battle, but I'm definitely one of them. But Dan is a friend of mine, and, and we were at a pizza place on the Lower East Side about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. And we were eating pizza, and we were talking about, I don't know what we were talking about, complaining about cameras or something. And we were going back and forth, and we said, you know, this would be actually be probably a pretty interesting podcast. We should just give it a shot and record it. And so the next week, you know, he came over, we set up a couple of mics, and we recorded, and we put it up, and we didn't tell anybody about it. In fact, we didn't tell anybody about any of these until like episode 25 or so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we put them up and we had a handful of people listening, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't advertise it at all or anything like that. But, you know, a lot of it was actually just trying to talk about stuff. You know, people, 
there's there's so many specific this week in photography and this that and the other thing and everything's so specific specific it's like sometimes you just want two people who are interested in a bunch of things talking about it all those different things you know and so we're there. I mean, this week we got nerdy on Apple stuff. Last week, I think we did camera stuff, but then we talk about traveling. We talk about, uh, we had a, we had a, we had Jeffrey on a couple weeks ago talking about community and building it online and what that means and how it works and, you know, what the point of it is. For me, it's just something else to do. I'm not looking to build anything crazy big, but it's just, it's, hey, it's fun to put something else out there, you know? Well, I'm enjoying them, and I like the diversity of the topics of conversation because, you know, like you and a lot of other people, I listen to a lot of the other photo podcasts, and, you know, some of them are, are – I wonder why I'm listening to them at times. Well, there's a lot – there's there's far too much stuff out on the web, and this is the case with photo – a lot of photo websites, too. It's like, you know, how many different sites do we need to show you how to use a speed light? Get a speed light, start playing with it. You don't need somebody to tell you what you can or cannot do, or you know. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of photographers out there who you know shall remain nameless for obvious reasons. But it's like they'll go out there and be like, "We're going to do this great thing," and like, "You're going to shoot at home and send all this stuff to me, and we're going to like make this project together." And it's kind of like, "Wait, you're giving me permission to use my camera? Thanks." It's like, <laughs> no. I hate the idea of artists telling other artists what they can and cannot do and what they should or should not do. It's like just. Pick up your camera, start taking pictures, make it for yourself. Don't make it for anybody else. Don't listen to anybody else, you know, to tell you what you should be doing or what you're doing wrong. Cause I, I don't know. It just that kind of stuff bothers me. And maybe it's just a hang up I have. But yeah, I mean, even my own blog, I mean, every once in a while I'll do a how, not a how to, but like I'll do a sort of behind the scenes thing of how I did a picture, but it's not like click this button, duplicate this layer. You know, I, I, I do like very vague things because if you don't know what I'm talking about just by looking at the different stuff that I'm showing, yeah. then you probably couldn't do it anyway. And you can go, you know what I mean? Like then, then you're outside of, you don't have the vocabulary to listen to what I'm saying. Then you got other stuff to look at before you start looking at this. You know, right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold your hand and walk you through this. Figure it out on your own. I did. You know, I, I don't have any education in photography. I've never taken a class. I, I think that I think a lot of times people look and they say, oh, I can't write a book. I don't know how to write. It's like, well, you know how to write. Open up Word and start typing. And I think that's really what's very interesting about you and you, in your career and, and so many other people out there is that a lot of people feel like they have to get permission, that they have to have some sort of pedigree in order to make the choice to do whatever they're feeling impelled to do. And I think yeah. that uh, that's one of the things I like about having guests like you on the show is to show people and demonstrate that, no, you don't need anything like that. You don't even need an expensive camera to go out there and make the nope. choice to go out and make these pictures. You you just no. have to have the desire and the willingness to be able to do whatever footwork you need to do to make it happen. Sure. And I mean, and if you're making it for you, then who cares what anybody else thinks? I mean, the same kind of goes for assisting too. I mean, yeah, you could go assist people and maybe you can learn stuff, but I know people who have been assisting for big photographers and they've been the assistant for four years. It's kind of like, what are you learning now that you ha didn't learn in the first six months? And part of it is just like, do you want to be a photographer or do you want to be an assistant? Because if you want to be a photographer, go take pictures. Stop standing behind the guy taking the pictures. Mm -hmm. I guess it's self-confidence. It's, it's, it's self-image maybe. I don't know what it is, but like it, there's too much of this thing that like the whole paying your dues kind of thing. It's like, yeah, okay. You know, the, the 10,000 hours Malcolm Gladwell kind of thing. I understand, but that's 10,000 hours of going and doing it, not 10,000 of hours of reading and watching other people do it. Yeah. And, and waiting for the self-confidence is never, is, is a fool's errand because you'll, of course you'll never is. get I, it until you go out and, and do it. You know, a lot of people think I'm fairly accomplished, good photographer, and I think that I'm crap most of the time. So, you know, you're never going to, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
Like, absolutely. You're never going to wake up one day and say, wow, I'm really great. You're always going to think that you need to get better. But that's the whole point is that you need to think you need to get better in order for you to get better. Because if you think you're great, then you're not going to do anything new or interesting. Yeah. And um, I know, I know plenty of big photographers, you know, guys who charge $100,000 a day that are friends of mine and they take the same damn pictures every time, you know, because that's what people expect of them. And it's kind of like, okay, well, you have your equation, but like, you almost kind of want to ask them, like, do you like taking that picture every time? Or, or do, do you come up with all of this sort of artistic mumbo jumbo to describe what you're doing in order to cover up the fact that you're taking the same picture every time? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, at the same time, I don't want these people to dislike me. So I don't say this to their face, but you almost kind of want to be just like, don't you want to take something that doesn't involve XYZ? Yeah. You know? Well, I, I could keep talking to you for hours, so but uh, I'm I'm going to ask you my last question, which you sure. probably already know what it is. My last question is, I ask each guest to recommend another photographer uh, for listeners to explore and discover, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that be for you and why? Oh, wow. That's a difficult that's a difficult question. You know, it's funny. I was I was emailing with uh, Sylvia Plachey mm-hmm, this morning. Yeah. Because <laughs> I want to take her picture. And it's funny because her pictures are completely unlike mine in almost every way. You know, she admits that she doesn't really know how to use cameras and, you know, like technical stuff and whatever. She goes out there and she takes pictures that I would never see in a million years. And it fascinates me. So uh, if I was going to choose one today, it would be her just because she's on my mind. But, you know, if you were going to ask me any other day up until now, it's like, man, I'm a big Karsh fan. I can't get enough. I I really can't get enough. And it's funny because some of the stuff that he does, the looks that he gets are the kind of things that are very, very difficult to do with digital because he was using uh, orthographic film, you know, that's like got basically like it only grabs the blue and greens uh, and the black and white and that kind of stuff. And it's kind of, uh, it's very difficult to do now with strobes because he was using all hot lights and very like more, uh, uh, theatrical lighting kind of stuff, but he's a master. Yeah. Uh, it, funny enough, actually, I met a guy who said that, you know, Karsh had a brother who was a doctor in the town that I was born. Really? And I, yeah. And I recently called my mother. I was like, is there any chance that the doctor who delivered me, whose name was Karsh? And she goes, yeah, I think it was. <laughs> which, which just kind of cracks me up that I, you know, maybe that, maybe that imbues me with some sort of uh superpower, you know, that I, <laughs> it doesn't hurt to claim it anyway. Yeah. You know, and interestingly enough, Annie Leibowitz was also born in the same town. So in Waterbury, Connecticut. So uh, it, uh, it goes around, but uh, if I could give you two Karsh and Plachey right now. Well, thank you so much for appearing on the show. It was really fun talking to you. No, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Please remember that we are still accepting images for the Chasing the Light Photography Podcast. You can submit images through Flickr. You will find a link for that uh, in the show notes. I've already recorded the first episode, and it should be out soon if it isn't out already. And you can find out more by following me on Facebook and Twitter. Links to each can be found on the blog. You can also contact me by emailing me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or by simply posting a note on the blog at thecandidframe.com. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who can be found at theothermartintaylor.com. And I'm Ivarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check. 
Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.